Hey, everybody, this is Robbie Robinson with Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons, and you are listening, my friends, to the Robert Miller Follow Your Dream podcast. Oh, what a podcast. Everyone has a dream. Robert Miller is a musician who had a dream to become a rock star. He followed his dream, and he succeeded. If you're ready to pursue and succeed at your dream, then listen up and get inspired and motivated to take action today. Welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Follow Your Dream podcast. I am Robert Miller, your host. My guest today is Chris Montez. He is one of the great artists to emerge from the 1960s. He had a gigantic hit in 1962 with the song Let's Dance, which reached number four on the charts. He then switched to a softer sound, and he had two more big hits in 1966, The More I See You and Call Me. He's toured with Sam Cooke, The Platters, and Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. And oh, by the way, this little group from Liverpool, England, opened for him. How about that? In the second half of this episode, Chris and I are going to do a song fest. We're going to play his greatest hits. We're going to talk about them. Chris will tell you all the backstories, and it's going to be great fun because nobody else does this on podcasts. My featured song in this episode, and I always feature a song of mine in every episode, underneath the introduction and at the end. And in this instance, the song I chose is The Queen's Carnival from the album of the same name by my band Project Grand Slam. Why did I choose this song? Well, Chris is a Mexican-American with a Latino heritage, and The Queen's Carnival is the first Latin song that I've ever written and recorded. So I thought it fit perfectly. So Chris Montez, welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast, baby. I'm glad to be on the show. I mean, I'm honored, really honored. It is so good to have you here. I mean, look, you were one of the guys that I grew up listening to on the radio when I was wow. growing up and I getting into music. You know, I grew up in New York City. You did, I think you grew up much further west from there. But in yeah, New York yeah. City, we had three rock and roll stations on the AM dial. And at any one time, they're all playing some great music. And Chris Montez was all over the radio. <laughs> wow. I can't, what can I say? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so tell me, you know, I like to ask my guests, this is a podcast called Follow Your Dream. What was your dream when you were young? Did you want to be a rock and roll star? No, not necessarily. Uh... I grew up with brothers that play guitar and I just was, uh, you know, just learning to play guitar there that way because I was singing mostly Mexican songs, you know, rancheras, which is a polka kind of song. And uh, I decided to, uh, one day I made a, a demo just with this group I was playing with. And then one day I came home and this person at the engineer sent this demo to a uh, to these producers. And next thing I come in from high school to watch the Dick Clark show, and my mother says, these people are calling you in regards to recording you. And I said, mom, you gotta be kidding. You, you got it wrong. She says, and she, this was all, this was all in Spanish. We're speaking in Spanish. And she says, I got the number. So I called the number and sure enough, it was producers. And uh, that's how it started. How did they hear about you? How did they find you? 
it's 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 funny because the engineer where I paid thirty dollars to make a demo with my band, uh, you, they usually use the tape and then they erase it and record the next, you know, to keep money rolling. But this gentleman, for, by the grace of God, said called these producers and said, "I got somebody you got to listen to," and I had I had no I had not known about that. All right, so you're telling me that you did a thirty dollar demo, and yeah. from that you became a star, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's a trip, isn't it? <laughs> you got to be the luckiest guy on the face of the earth. Well, with God, all things are possible. So that's what I keep it. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. People work for years and decades, and you got it on the first try with that demo. Good for you. Yeah, well, it was, I guess it was meant to be, you know. I guess so. You have a Mexican-American background, and I'm, I'm wondering whether at that time in the early 60s, was it more difficult for you because of that background? Did people treat you the right way or did you have issues in the music business? Well, I had issues in the street period, you know, in high school and all that, because I'd always get police because the Mexican-American was uh, frowned on them a lot, you know, prejudice toward them. And uh, I'd come home, be walking home from school, high school, and, uh, and the police sometimes would pull me over and search me for drugs. I said, what's, what's this all about? Well, we make sure you're, you know, you know, I just got out of school, you know. So I missed, I, I, I've encountered different uh, issues with uh, being Mexican American, but by the grace of God, I just those things never affected me. It just went over my head. I said, okay, on next, you know. Good for you. And that's how my life was. Good for you. Okay, let's talk about what happened after all of this. You did the demo. You got, it got sent to all the right people. Take us from there. What happened? And then one day uh, after the demo, I, uh, I met this producer, uh, Barry DeVorzon, who had done Johnny um, Dreamin', I'm always dreaming, Johnny uh, Burnett. Okay. He, he, produ he produced that. And I said, wow, I can't believe it. It just happened that way. And one day I was writing a song. All you had to do was tell me. And he was helping me in the lyrics. And and, and not comes to the door. And it was, he said, come on in, Johnny. And I didn't know who he was talking to. And he says, and he says this is Johnny Burnett. And I said, Johnny, you're Johnny Burnett. And he said, yeah. And he had the number one song. Dreaming. I'm always dreaming, dreaming, love will be mine. It was such an honor and such a friendly person. He was a great person. I, I really, I like people that are down to earth like that. Uh -huh. No influences. <laughs> and then next thing I know, they say, you're going, you're going to do the Dick Clark show. We're going hopping. I've never been out of L.A. besides even having a car, you know. And so the next thing I'm, I'm on the plane going to uh, do the Dick Clark show. And it was amazing because I couldn't believe it. it was a miracle. Anyone who was on Dick Clark show was like, wow, what else can you ask for? And so I get there and he was real kind and I did let's dance and 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 the next thing uh after i departed uh i had to do the apollo the howard theater and and the other theater, the three black theaters and that was my schedule right after i finished so i went to the apollo 
and I and I had my guitar in the suitcase and I was on on a on a tram or whatever subway and and I didn't know what they told me get off a certain 88th street or something what are you what are you talking about so I asked these people and they pushed me out and it's there it is before I knew I was out there in the rain with my guitar in a suitcase and all of a sudden I didn't know where to go and I was I was right there in 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 Harlem I guess or whatever you want to call it oh yeah that's where it is yeah and so this guy out of nowhere he's like six foot three or something I'm a little guy you know and he said uh where you go uh, can I help you son and I said yeah I said I gotta go to the Apollo theater and you know where it's at he says yeah he says I'll, I'll walk you there it, for a couple of dollars I said here you're on let's go <laughs> so he he leads me there it was like my bodyguard and all these people down the street are watching this you know say what what is this about you know and then when I I got to the Apollo it was raining too um then he said here you are and I said thank you very much he said you're welcome I gave him a couple of bucks and then and then I went in the door and I turned around and he was gone it was just bam zap next thing I had a re rehearsal with the Apollo which I never I got there an hour late or something. So I didn't, I stayed there and watched the rest of the acts. And then I went to the other theaters uh, with Smokey Robinson, you know. So you're appearing at one of the greatest, you know, black music cathedrals in all of America. And they sent you there on your own on the subway. And <laughs> you're a young kid, you're walking in there. Yeah. And uh, that must have been an unbelievable experience at the Apollo. Oh, it was. It had all these uh, uh, different screaming Jay Hopkins, all these different black artists, you know. And um, so they said, well, well, you'll get paid anyway, but uh, you're too late. And so so um, so that was my first adventure. And then the second theater was the Howard Theater was the same, you know. That was big. Washington, right? Yeah, I guess. I don't know where it was. <laughs> uh, so I'm telling you. And so. I'm getting on and I'm getting ready to rehearse my songs. And the guy says, I bring all this music, which I know nothing about repeats and section A and section B. And this guy gave me all this music from the last dance. And they said, and it said to me, Chris, on, on the repeat sign, you want to go to first ending or second ending? I said, what the heck are you talking about? <laughs> you know, it's a new language to me. So they said, sing the song for us. So I did. And that's how it started. So they, they had the arrangement down. And I remember going out the first time and and we're doing a great show, you know? And the first time I gone, there was like six people out there. This is a movie theater. And then the second show, after that show, by the time the show was over, I was ready to start again. And and there was maybe 10 people. By the by the fifth time, there was it was full, you know? So that was my... Uh, <laughs> that was my learning process <laughs> obviously they heard about you by the fifth show <laughs> yeah. yeah that's why it was packed but, but that you know with Smokey Robinson and all these different uh, Jerry Butler and all these different artists and, and you know the you know people at the theater came in little by little isn't that great? At, by the night it was screaming now this was all after or all as a result of Let's Dance your, your big first record Yes, yes. Okay. I want to hear about that, but I'm going to hold off until we get to the song fest portion. Okay. Fast forward a little bit. You went to Europe. I know that. Oh, oh wait, wait. Before that, before okay. I went to Europe, I get a call and Sam Cook wants me on this tour. Darling, you send me. 
So, so uh, he said, uh, so they said, oh, yeah, and this is the group, one of the groups and uh, this on this show and it's, it was the Beatles, you know, and they see these guys here with their sort of long hair, short, they were like bang haircut, you know, and all that stuff. And, uh, and, um, and I'm saying, oh, wow, you know, nice to meet you guys. And then one time we were playing together, we were getting rehearsing and they, they said, Can, let us play your guitar. Paul wanted to play my, my, my guitar because they didn't have Fender guitars there. It was an American guitar. Right. So John gave a stroke and, and everybody, you know, this great guitar. You know, so then we continued and then we started partying, but we started with the show. And I remember the first night, I thought I was, I thought I was pretty sharp on my, on my, on my presentations because I've been with all these different artists and watching the girls in the, during the shows, they would help me move and dance, you know, and I watched how Sam Cooke would sing to the girls. And, and that's what, that was my approach. I wanted to be, you know, uh, sing to the ladies. And, and uh, so the show starts and, and then all of a sudden the Beatles and everybody kind of start screaming in a little bit, you know, cause it was a great show. And, um, and all of a sudden I hear, the uh, the uh, first song that they sang um, was uh, Little Richard, uh, Long, Long Tall Sally. I think so. One of those. It was it was rocking, uh -huh. and I said, "Wow, these guys can can really really got their chops together," you know. And and during that tour, their single was "Love Me Do," so I used to hear that every night. Love, yeah. love me do, you know. <laughs> so I started hanging out with the girls and with the guys and we couldn't go anywhere. I mean, the girls would attack us and everything. That was my first experience of that too, you know? And uh, I don't want to get descriptive, so I'll just blast. Beatlemania had not yet exploded around the world, but at least in England, it they yes, were still, right. they were really popular, huh? They were getting popular. And, and so, you know, they took me to their tailors and, and I had some boots made and I hung out a lot with Paul and John. They showed me around the town and, you know, we'd have a few drinks and we, mess around and and uh one time they disappeared for a week and i said hey where are you guys and he said well three days and he said we're finishing our album i said you gotta be kidding he's, so we had a room and he's paul goes up there and we go up there and he puts it on on the on the turntable and and the first song i was hearing well she was just 17 i said wow <laughs> you know so i had paul play that song about six times he says you like that song i said man it's a great song and you know a real rocking song. So Chris, you're there at the beginning. You see the whole thing happening. I mean, it, it must have been mind-blowing to watch that whole situation, huh? It was mind-blowing uh, from every aspect of it, you know, being popular, being pursued by the girls, cameras, um, you know, everything, you know, that entails being a, a, an artist. And, uh, and toward the end of the tour, they were getting stronger and stronger. And uh, the guy says, uh, hey, uh, my manager and, and, and the promoter, I hope you don't mind, but they're getting so strong. You don't mind if they close the last show. And I said, are you, are you kidding? I mean, this, I said, and they, they were from Liverpool, right? Right. And that's where we last closed. I said, no, man, I could care less. I said, you know, this is their hometown. This is, this, who they, this is what they are about, you know? See, you're a good sport because basically they, took over the tour from you, you're saying, when you got to Liverpool. Yeah, yeah. They went yeah, from the opening just, act to the closing act. They closed close the show, yeah. And Tommy would, Tommy Rowe come out and do Sheila, and then I, uh, then uh, this, 
when it first started, the Beatles and then Tommy and then myself, I closed the show and it was chaotic, but it was a wonderful blessing and experience. Yeah, so they closed the show. So I remember, uh, oh, I don't know if you heard about this, but I might as well. We were on a bus one time and, and we were at a party, private party. And it was, they were all drinking and I, I was too tired. I was burned out behind this tour. So I come home. So I get on the bus and crash out. And all of a sudden I hear all this rackets, the boys and, you know, uh, John Lennon and Paul and the guys and Ringo and they're bouncing around and, and John Lennon comes by me and pours a beer on my head. And I got up and I said, you son of a, and I charged him and knocked him down. We were rolling on the ground and Tommy Rowe and Paul broke us apart. I said, you, you punk, you know, what, what's your scene, you know? And, and uh, for a while, I didn't speak to them for a while. But at the end, we made a, a, amends. And I remember, uh, I must, okay, I don't, maybe I won't regret, but anyway, so I'm talking to Paul and, and John and, and I said, saying our goodbyes and they're signing my book. And they said, I hope you don't mind, Chris, but we're getting our jackets made like you're, the one you wear on stage, you know, it's colorless jacket. And, and I wore two of them and I said, hey, great. Yeah, that's wonderful. <laughs> Never thinking that when they, the album came out, Meet the Beatles, it, they have this colorless jacket on, just like my cut, you know. Did you save the jacket? Yeah, I have both of them. Good for you. It's probably worth original. a lot of money at this point. If somebody offers me the money, they can have the whole stuff, <laughs> the, the guitar and the and the original jackets. So so prior to that, when I went to England, this guy, this tailor, not a tailor, owned a music store, I mean, clothing store, he says, I got the right jackets. This is an thing. And it was a collarless with a belt around the waist and another one. And I said, oh, I'm going to be in. When I got to England, he always said, where'd you get that jacket? Where, you know, I've never seen that kind of jacket. And I said to myself, that guy lied to me. He, this was supposed to be the end thing. <laughs> but at the end, it did become the end thing, right? That's right. It became the end thing. You got a very valuable souvenir there, I want to tell you. Yeah, well, thank you. Hey, everybody. My Follow Your Dream handbook is an Amazon number one bestseller. It's a combination memoir of my unique musical journey and a step-by-step how-to for you to follow and succeed at your dream. It's available at Amazon and wherever books are sold. Check it out today. So let's go on to the Songfest portion of this episode because I want to start playing some of your music and get everybody up and dancing here. All right, so your first big hit was Let's Dance. Hey, baby. Tell us about that. Did you write it or where'd you get it from? And uh, give us the backstory on Let's Dance. Well, there was a uh, there's stu- recording studio called Gold Star, which is known for Cher and all these different artists recorded, uh, Glenn Campbell, all these different people. Anyway, uh, we went in there and uh, I was... I was singing ballads like Richie Valens. Oh, I forgot to say he was my influence in music uh-huh. because he was the only Mexican American in, in rock and roll when uh-huh. I heard him. And one time I was at a hop and he 
and it was sold out with 300 people with short, small. And they said, Richie will be out in a minute. So I'm waiting, way in the back, it's sold out. And all of a sudden, Richie Valens is standing next to me. I couldn't believe it, it was incredible. This is before I became popular. And and I said, you're Richie Valens? He said, yeah. I said, wow, so I, I, I was lost for words. I said, he shook my hand, he smiled and said, I said, I want to be a singer. He said, good luck, good. <laughs> and and then, then a few months later, dies in the crash, you know. Yeah. So it was kind of sad for me, but I knew his, his all his songs, I knew his style and everything. And um, so that's how it all started. Where was I going anyway? We were going what, to what were we uh, Gold about? Star and Let's Dance. Oh, yeah. Okay, so about Let's Dance. So then I walk into Gold Star, and we had written all these songs, and some of them, I wrote most of the songs, but Jim Lee was my producer. He wrote Let's Dance, and he said, you got to do this song. I said, okay, I wasn't up to it. So I walk into the studio, and I and I see all these guys in the studio, and, the, and I walk to this, I, I see this girl playing bass. I said, oh, what, what's going on here? Because I, I didn't know any better. And I figured, well, it's going to be a schlock recording, or they don't really care, you know. So her name was Carol Kay, which is... <laughs> One of the most famous bass players around. Yeah, yeah. So I walk up to her and she says, hi, Chris. I said, I, I said, Carol, you know, I want a kind of a sound on bass, like, don't, 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 like a bamba and all that stuff. She said, Chris, I played on that whole album. I said, what a <laughs> blessing. <laughs> so that's how, another blessing. And then, so we recorded Let's Dance, which I didn't want to record because it wasn't my group. And then because of Smash. So, you know, you never know. Yeah, it worked out for you. That's for sure. That was a big, big hit. That's yeah. great. Okay, let's move on to the second one. Now, you changed your style uh, in the next couple of years. Yeah. And I want you to talk about how and why you did that. And then you had this big hit with Call Me, right? If you're feeling sad and lonely, there's a service. What happened is, is I wasn't I was getting cheated from my recording studio from the producer and all that and the company was you know was nothing it was you know and and I wasn't getting all my royalties so so I had to I had to sign off my royalty my whole thing to get away from the company because my my lawyer says if you don't do that he could tie you up for four years and you can't go anywhere same for any other company so I said, okay, I'm out of here, you know. It was, I, my ego was sort of ruined and my, you know, I was in the dumps, you know. So I decided when I got back and, then, you know, I could hear people probably are thinking, what happened to you, Mr. Big Star and all that? But, I, you know, it's part of life, you know, <laughs> just ignore it, you know. But uh, I decided to go to study music at the, at the college, junior college, because I decided to be rounded, you know. I didn't want to just be a singer. I wanted to be know about music and notation and arrangements because of that situation I had the Apollo. And so I go there and I start studying. And um, and one day uh, this uh, saxophone player that I hung out with, his name was Bob Tate. And he was great on jazz, and I, I've always loved jazz. And he said, "Come on, Chris, I got to go pick up some tapes in Hollywood." And I said, "No, no, I don't want to go." And he said, "Come on with me." So I went with him and this person comes out and says, uh, 
hey, Bob, I can't use your music, but thanks anyway. And Bob said, oh, it's okay. Thank you very much. And he said, oh, by the way, this is Chris Montez. And, and the guy says, you're Chris Montez, a singer? <laughs> I said, yeah, I am. He says, what are you doing now? I said, well, I'm going to school and studying at college. And he said, well, I sure would like to have you for my label. Would you like to be interested in recording? And I said, no. He said, well, think about it. And, and I left. And that was Herb Alpert who asked me. <laughs> <laughs> I said, no, I don't want to record. You turned down Herb Alpert, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I came back and I said, okay, I'll, I'll give it a try. So he had a staff producer produce me on some songs that I wrote. And I, I did a couple of rocks songs that I was playing harmonica and I was really in the pocket. And uh, and uh, the staff producer later, a couple of days later says, Herb didn't like what we did. And it was mixed and everything. And I said, that's why I didn't want to get into the, this because I was on a down, like, you know what I mean? I was, uh, I don't know how I was going to recover from this. And he said, because I, I was just disinterested in, 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 in the music industry. I was, you know, it, it was a, a mishap that I didn't want to have. So anyway, so I come back and I did this recording and, and he said, didn't like it. So he said, by the way, Herb's, Herb's in his office. He wants to talk to you. And I said, oh, okay. He's got an idea. So I walk in and Herb's a great person. He's not only a great artist, but he's a great person. Very hip, very hip too. And he said to me, hey, Chris, how's it going? I said, all right. He said, I got an idea. And, and I said, okay, he's, he's standing up. He starts snapping his fingers. If you're feeling sad and lonely, there's a service I can render. I said, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> you want me to sing that song? You gotta be kidding me. And I didn't say that to him. I said, okay, he said, I, I got, we gotta do it. So we're going to the studio and the guys are there and he starts, give me this kind of feel, give me that kind of feel. And, it's, and sometimes he said, no, to the drummer, no, I want this kind of feel. So once we had the feel and he's, he said, okay, Chris, get on the mic and because we had practiced it. So while I'm singing calmly, he's standing next to me, make sure the vocal was good. And I did a couple tries and he said, that's take. And that was it. And then I come back later and hear the mix and it's got glasses and yeah, Chris. And he did all that. <laughs> Herb Alpert was your fairy godfather in this thing. Yeah, huh? yeah, sure <laughs> was. That's a great story. That's a great story. All right, then you had another big, big smash again in 1966, The More I See You. The more I see you, the more I want you. Somehow this feeling just grows and grows. Was that another Herb Alpert special? Yeah, well, the guys that were working with Herb Alpert, Nick DiCarroll and Tommy LaPuma was my producer. And he produced um, George Benson, you know, this big hit and all those other. But he, he and he produced a lot of artists. And, and so Nick DiCarroll was my musical arranger and he was a great singer and he knew all these standards. And he'd say, I, I knew of them, but I never approach singing them and he helped me he said here try this and he's singing I said I like that and he said okay and he find a key for me he said, that's it and then I come back and we run our song and 
and he have the we have the he have the tracks we're ready to, he'd have the music already done for me you know and a lot of times we recorded the track well i'm listening to the tracks and then after that i do the vocal and that was how i started I so i got into that realm of singing that that standards well it certainly worked for you right it did it's, it's well i i thought um, I wasn't ready for that because I thought I'd have to be older, like Sinatra or, you know, <laughs> someone that was hip that knew how to, you know, swing, you know. Next thing I'm, I'm in the middle of this genre, you know. Well, you know, sometimes in life things go differently than you expect, but you rode with it and it was good for you. No question. All right. So tell us, what have you been doing these days and what's in the future for Chris Montez? Okay. Uh, well, let me give you just a little input. When I had those songs, I went to Brazil and I got off from Brazil and, you know, I thought they knew, you know, they knew my music. When I got off on, uh, off the plane, it was like 5,000 people. It's welcome, Chris Montez. I'm saying, God, I'd be kidding. Because it reminded me of being with the Beatles. And I had four bodyguards and I couldn't go nowhere. And people were always, you know. Were the girls throwing themselves at you? Well, it's just people wanted to meet me, hug me and all that, okay. you know. And, and uh, uh, girls, they've always been around, you know. But uh, So I said, I'd have to tell the bodyguards, leave them alone. I want to talk to them, you know. They push people around, and I, I, don't, I don't like that. So I got a, a, a Grammy Award from there. It's called uh, Bia, Bia uh, something, Viola. And, uh, and I got a gold album, and, and it had Sonny in it, Call Me, The More I See You. And Sonny was a huge hit over there, you know. And then when I came back from that tour, then Herb Albert wanted me to stay, but I was—I felt I was getting lost in the shuffle. So I left the company, which was a mistake, but you live and learn. Right. And they had other great artists there anyway. And so I, I had a, a producer, Billy Michelle from CBS International came and he wanted to produce me. So we produced things and I, I wrote a bilingual song called I Know Digas, which is a Mexican polka, but it's mo mostly in English. And I got a gold record from Europe. It was a whole, a whole different other thing, you know? So now I got to do these kind of things, you know? And uh, that's been my life, other than raising children and getting married 20 times. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the story? No, I've been only married twice. That's it. Good for you. It sounds like you've led a charmed life. I mean, I go back to that first story you told about doing the $30 demo and the next thing you're on the Dick, the Dick Clark show. I mean, that's an amazing beginning. Yeah. Good for you. All right. We have been speaking here to Chris Montez, one of the great artists of the 1960s. I thank you so much for being on the podcast, Chris. And I wish you the best of luck in everything that you're doing. Okay. And now we're going to listen to that song that we started off playing at the beginning of the podcast. I want to thank you for listening, and we will see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so you don't miss another inspiring episode. You can connect with Robert at robert at followyourdreampodcast.com. And you can hear more from his band at projectgrandslam.com and at thepgsstore.com. Thank you.